0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Crow Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Krallen Allen. Hi there. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren. u v a v u who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that... Ignorance, Darren! Ignorance! (laughs) For
1: anyone listening, this is the seventh attempt we've made at recording the intro.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And up there with the worst of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm digging the choral, you know, approach.
2: That's choral (laughs) with a K. Yeah, with a K. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Next time in in, in harmony, please. Yeah. (laughs) Hickory! Quite challenging
0: in remote delayed recording, but um, don't worry. In the post, I'm going to make
2: you guys. Yeah, you can <laughs> fix it in the edit. It was hard. Yeah, Darren, you're soprano. I'll be alto. Ben's baritone. Yeah,
1: Ooh, at good. the minute, I look like Tony Soprano. Jesus yeah. Christ.
0: Baritone, worst <laughs> mafia name ever. <laughs> baritone. <laughs> Bar- <laughs> I say alto
2: is pretty bad, isn't it? Like, it's the alto <laughs> <We> family. Could... <laughs> I would love to meet a mafioso called Barry. That would be brilliant. <laughs> Barry we got Elton. Nike, we got Paulie and there's Barry. <laughs>
1: no, I'd love to meet one called Crispin. <laughs> we could, I think, we could do like a musical thing. What's that style called? Alpaca. Wait, no.
2: Acapella
0: Acapella (laughs) Alpaca Alpaca
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just a bunch of us humming and spitting
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right right. Um, So I think we're we're done with the dwarves
2: No, we're never done with the dwarves
0: You can't see it behind this uh, pop shield Um, I have sad face on
2: (laughs) Me too Five seconds of silence for memory of the dwarves, please.
1: <laughs>
2: that's not silence. That's filling in that's the ele- silence. That's <laughs> that's, that's, ele- that's, the that's elevator silence.
0: Also, that was Darren saying, not me. <laughs> On the way down. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite. That's quite upbeat for an elevator, isn't it? More of the kind of girl from Iponewa, like bah, 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 bah. Yeah, all of this is going to get through the copyright. <laughs> is there copyright on the girl from Ipaniwa? That is in every lift ever. Yeah, and they paid for it, Ben. They're
1: not they're just like, Gosh. there isn't an underground pirate lift music scene.
0: A movement. I don't know about you, but most of the lifts I get in have just got a freestyle jazz pianist. that <laughs> just sat in there playing it live.
2: Making his own version, so it's just slightly inside copyright right? <laughs> With an actual piano taking up most of the lift. Just <laughs> yeah. <back. laughs>
0: Can be a real bitch sometimes. Right, Crowley, you know what time it is.
3: Hello rightland. It's time for Cerat's Every Cup. Hey!
2: Hey! The WhatsApp recap. So last week, it went along the lines of Ben got put in the book for being a third wheel to Dar and Crow's Squabble. Then Crow yep. got put in the book for being a touchy cunt. Then Dar <laughs> got put in the book for forgetting Crow did a Warp Grinder ad and other grudges were logged. We then recited various grudges from previous episodes, which then inspired follow-up grudges. Finally, we continued to add to our own list of grudges. And in between all that, we did some sort of episode about something or other. <laughs> um, Done. But in all seriousness, Uh, uh, yeah, (laughs) everyone pull a sad face because it was the final episode of the softly please dwarfs, 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 dwarfs. Dwarfs. And you know what? I think I'm going to recite this in a bit of a, a eulogy style as well. A bit of a excellent. I think it's. I think it's a sad time because it was the final episode, wasn't it? So we learned about the incredible capacity for making war. And looking at their warriors and regiments—from thunderers to longbeards, from ironbreakers to slayers—and their roles within the armies of each hold—is it appropriate? We to learned laugh of their this? war machines <laughs> and talent for engineering, with the gyrocopter and gyrobomber airships, as well as the lovable and aptly named Grudge Thrower.
1: I'm just envisioning him in a dog collar, completely nude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> until our journey ended with the exploration of the three types of heroic dwarf that occupy the leadership positions in the Karakankor, Corps. Nobles, runesmiths, and engineers. And although they may have left a podcast for the time being, the dwarves shall forever stay with us in spirit.
3: Or if you'd like to hear more of us discussing dwarves, you can listen to Chunks
2: of Dar, our bonus podcast, available at Tier 2 <laughs> Patreon <laughs> subscribers. To find out more, go to www.patreon.com forward slash laying down the law, where you'll find out how to access more of our content and support us in various ways. Once again, that's www.patreon.com forward slash laying down the law. Amen. This eulogy Yay! has been sponsored by... Yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Dwarves. 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 Dwarves, dwarves, dwarves. dwarves.
2: <sighs> Excellent. That cool. was that was Primo, Primo Kral. Well, I don't know about you. There's probably no point in doing this podcast anymore
3: now that we've done with the dwarves,
2: right? We might as well just
0: sign there, off. There definitely. There's no other race that could possibly be better than them, right? Cough. <laughs> uh,
1: I think <laughs> you'll find, Darren,
0: uh, Darren. I feel like you have something to say. Cue <laughs> Darren. <laughs> Nagash, Nagash,
1: Nagash, 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 Nagash. No, Nagash. it doesn't work.
3: <laughs>
1: it does work. Stop, <laughs> Stop disparaging my Nagash. Um.
0: Where are we going? What's next? We haven't told anybody where we're going with this episode, have we? I don't know where we're going. Brittonia. <laughs> we don't even know.
1: We're going to go in a different direction and discuss The Vampire Counts.
0: Hooray! Do we want to give listeners an inkling into your outrageous love of vampires?
1: Well, I I would like to, but a court order says I mustn't show anyone my inkling anymore. (laughs) (laughs) What about your (laughs) decling? Yes, I absolutely fucking love the undead, both in fantasy and in the real world. Please don't tell my wife. Um, Yeah, (laughs) when I first got into Warhammer, it was through very specific sculpts of something called Whites W-I-G-H-T-S, the kind of undead specters uh, Um, that were... When they were originally sculpted, they had a very kind of Celtic feel to them, kind of Celtic dead, and that got me hooked. And then... Once I read the story of Nagash, that was it. I was hook, line, and sinkered in.
0: Interesting. And have loved them ever since. So are vampires seen then as part of that? Is the undead a race? It's more a faction than
1: a race, and you're right to point out, because it comprises of mostly dead humans, plus some alive humans, and some other shenanigans later on in their development. But when it started out, the Vampire Counts as a faction didn't exist. They were folded in as part of the undead. Um, and when in that was in 4th edition in 5th edition there was this great split into what's referred to as the Dry Dead and the Wet Dead. <laughs> gay, so the, 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 <laughs> the Dry Dead are skeletons and mummies and which then progressed into Tomb Kings. And my love life. <clears throat> I've told you before, lube is your friend. Um,
0: <laughs> Does that turn dry dead into wet dead? This was a <laughs> It helps. No, I think that turns them into to slippery dead. <laughs> so is it multiple races together as a faction?
1: Yes, that's how the undead were originally envisaged. Again mostly dead given the name undead it's hardly a surprise uh, but you had skeletons and zombies as we've seen later on in games workshops development you had at least one regiment where you had skeletons of non-humans so you had orcs and skinks and yes, lizard men yeah, and, yeah, and, and stuff yeah. mr chris
2: um would you say the undead is the race and that you have different factions within the race not it's a faction. And you have different races in the faction, like the human race, and we have different factions in the form of, I don't, nations, for example.
1: Yeah, I think perhaps it's one of those things that's a, it's a solution without an actual problem, if you know what I mean, or, or a distinction that doesn't really require one to be made. Not your question, but the overall. Thing of <laughs> All right, weather, I get the picture. Uh, Jesus. Of whether. Shut the fuck up, Crowl. Just
2: shut the fuck up and sit down, and we'll take it from here. All right, Chris. All right, Captain right. Samantha. Good boy. good boy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think, it, yes, I think faction and race in terms of the Warhammer kind of structure can be interchangeable. Right. So you're you're right to raise that as a point. Um,
0: Before we continue, Dar, would you care to make an offline wager as to how many times during this series Chris will use his go-to phrase when it comes to anything to do with vampires? I want to suck your blood. <laughs> 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 um. I'd certainly, g- given that
1: I now understand Krell's sense of humor, I will certainly make a wager on the use of the phrase, I want to suck, because <laughs> I know what he's like for swapping words in at the last minute now. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> Aha, Joke's on
2: you. I <laughs> want to blow.
1: <laughs>
2: Your, Your mind. <laughs> mind.
1: <laughs> yes, and we will take the number offline. Um and what, what I, for the record my that kid- isn't
2: my catchphrase I just said it a couple of times when you mentioned vampires my, that isn't my catchphrase my catchphrase sure. is I need a catchphrase
0: um, <laughs> <laughs> your catchphrase is I need I need a catchphrase that's quite a good catchphrase <laughs> enter catchphrase here
2: <laughs> Krellen, enter catchphrase <laughs>
1: yeah. his catchphrase is
0: Meg shut up
1: <laughs> somewhat really ironically is. that's also Bane's catchphrase
2: yeah um, exactly. <laughs> One is
0: a human, one is a dog.
1: <laughs> and we're drawing a veil. Yes. Yeah, so the undead faction, we'll use that as the phrase, that had elements from kind of mythology from all over the real world smooshed, much like a Christmas pudding, into one kind of cohesive whole. So you had vampires fighting alongside mummies, also fighting alongside zombies and ghouls. There were skeletons, of course, and that included, that was the kind of mainstay were the skeletons. And you had skeleton cavalry, skeleton chariots as I well. I remember
0: the skeleton chariots. They were cool. Yeah.
1: And then a, a kind of host of special characters. And this was all coming out of the fourth edition. Because up until the fourth edition, it was kind of still a generic IP. It had started to be developed. And it was kind of more fully developed in lore. Through the RPG and then into fourth edition of Fantasy Battle, but yeah, loved it, and that's where I came across Nagasha's story for the first time.
0: <laughs> Several times.
1: Oh, and in honor of the undead nature of them, it comes out like a cloud of dusty spores. <laughs> <laughs> Poof. Poof. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: Coughing. <laughs> oh, it's everywhere. Uh.
1: Someone sneezed oh. while baking. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Um, also, it's just occurred to me about the I want to suck wager is it's kind of stupid to make that wager with the guy that can insert the phrase I want to suck as many times as he wants. That's true. Ben. That's true.
0: <laughs> and his editing um, prowess. But you'll be in the recordings as well. So it's not about what's finally produced. It's about what happens in the recordings. You can take a tally at your side. So.
1: Well, uh, somewhat ironically, at uni, they've already said, you don't take enough notes. So uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I've decided to live up to that reputation. So this wager is as good as one then. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'll just buy you something. It'll be nice. (laughs) So yeah, so with the transition from the fourth to fifth editions, that's where, as I said, the wet and dry dead kind of slough off. So the wet dead then is taken as the vampire counts, So the principal difference is really the form of necromancy that's used. So within the vampire accounts armies, you have necromancers and the vampires are themselves necromancers as well, or users of necromantic magic. Whereas the tomb kings, the dry dead use rites and rituals. They don't use necromancy as such. They uh, channel the winds of magic in a different fashion. It all stems from, of course, The Great Ritual cast by Nagash. Now, as listeners will be aware, or as regular listeners will be aware, both in our introductory series and in the Skaven series, we touched upon Nagash and the Great Ritual and the kind of realms of the dead and what they look like. We're going to do a very quick summation of that in this episode before we crack on. But it is advisable, if you want to get the most out of the vampire accounts, go back and listen to, I think it was episode three, in the introduction, and I think it is the second episode in the Skaven series, the number of which Ben will insert now. Number.
3: Uh,
0: I-, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant live. I was
2: like, you have put me on the spot no. there, pal. Uh, no, not a fucking no way.
0: <laughs> I think it's Seven. <laughs>
2: No, I don't know. I think it was Seven, tromboned. That's where Alka-Seltzer was tromboned into. He
0: tromboned me, dude. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why is it you always go for that family guy,
1: paedophile thing? I've forgotten his character name.
2: Hey, Chris, you want some popsicles?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That guy. Herbert? Was it yeah. Herbert or something? <laughs> Herbert, yeah. Okay. Mm. Y- you. <laughs> <laughs> The next episode, you have to do the WhatsApp recap in that voice. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Perfect. Uh.
1: So before we dive into that recap and, uh, and a brief kind of skirting of the timeline, I thought it might be helpful to talk about the current state of vampirism in Warhammer itself, in the Warhammer world.
2: You should um, do. I just want to highlight something about the difference between wet dead and dry dead. I just thought the wet dead is because they had bled, and the dry dead because they're dry as fuck. Yeah. Um, Bones and stuff.
1: It's half right. I think you're half right there. The The wet dead still has flesh. Yeah. And, Some I'm of right. their troop types still have flesh. So they have the zombies, obviously, still animated, freshly dead. The squishy. The squishy.
0: That's the accepted test, isn't it? You have to poke them.
2: Yeah, like exactly.
0: On the, fr- on the front line of a battle, they're like, Are these guys wet dead or, or dry dead over here? I oh, just go up and sploosh. Yep, and so nice. Let me get my chart. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's dry dead. My Bristol squish scale. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the most famous area for vampires in the whole of Warhammer is Sylvania, which is right next door to the moot.
2: Bad planning. Which is bad pl- uh, planning, very
1: bad planning. It to put like the undead right next to the Shire. Um, yeah. But if you can imagine. That would have made a <laughs> lot
0: shorter films, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't have even needed those fucking eagles. <laughs> Just an Uber. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I can hear some people screaming that there is in fact the Barrow Downs next to the Shire. So there is in fact undead next to the Shire as well. In is Lord it? of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Ah, wasn't in the movies. You posers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's in the Barrow Downs then? Dead. Barrows. Sad. I love that you've said that. Like, I would know what that is.
1: Well, oh, I'm sorry. We're both the children of archaeologists, Ben. I thought you'd fucking pay attention when you were growing up. <laughs>
2: and you play enough Skyrim. How many barrows have you entered in Skyrim? Then?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those are barrows. <laughs> yeah. Must <right>, have <that's>
2: <laughs> <That's dad> corrected. <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: he was okay, literally sitting there, going, "What wheelbarrows? <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> just
2: undead construction workers. Yeah, they're basically barrows are basically like rural tombs, aren't they? If
1: they are like. exactly right. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, surrounded by cairns and kists Oh, Ben, you should be able to reel all this stuff off. <laughs> well, I can. <laughs> all right, I did not pay attention." <laughs> So Sylvania looks like the stereotypical idea of what a vampire infested country looks like. So there's lots of dead trees. Yeah, always nighttime, always overcast. There's, you know, raining more than not. And thus everything is just marshy and horrible. And the dead rest uneasily in the countryside. There's woods that you walk into and you realize some of these trees aren't Actually, trees—they're just like loads of zombies, uh, and you know—and then they dissolve <laughs> and come straight at you. There's packs of dire wolves, which are these undead giant wolves, you know, roaming the countryside. Jeez. It's very much the idea of the first twenty to thirty pages of Dracula, where you've got this kind of Romany, Dark Ages, feudal kind of idea. The atmosphere is oppressive, and everyone cool. lives in fear.
2: Do you get regular humans that live there, or is that purely for the undead?
1: I was just about to say, there are a lot of ruins, but also fortified towns, that is um, where the, the living residents of Sylvania eke out their existence. And they are, I suppose the correct term is farmed by their vampire overlords. Now, the thing is that the vampires in Sylvania have taken up this kind of stereotypical landed gentry idea, where they feed on the working proletariat, and thus That kind of hierarchical structure continues all the way up till you get to Drachenhof Castle. Which is where the Karstein, the von Karstein took over. He was the one that took over as the elector count of Sylvania. So the kind of vampire lord of Sylvania is a de facto elector count, because Sylvania was a province of the Empire. So he or she has a right to vote in the elections for the Empire of Man. So he could vote for Karl Franz, the current elector count Manfred von Karstein. Um There are, of course, other areas and other kingdoms which have a kind of vampire nobility. You have the Musalon in Bretonia, this kind of evil nobility in a kind of heraldic grail setting. So, you know, someone drank from a cursed grail and became a vampire knight and took over that city, and again... Because of the necromantic magic that's uh, associated with the undead, it draws in the dark winds of Dar and uh, corrupts everything around it. So it has a very similar feel with zombie hordes marching around the place. Mr. Chris?
2: The necromantic magic, did that exist before the chaos gates and the winds of magic were unleashed? Was that already a thing?
1: It existed insofar as it was a result of, if you recall from our conversation about the winds of magic, they have a kind of natural place where they settle. And so in these areas, usually ones that are corrupted with warp stone, but not always, the dark wind can spontaneously cause the dead to rise. In terms of the deliberate manipulation of the winds of Dar to create the undead, that didn't exist until about 3,100 years after the collapse of the Polar Gate. And it was done
2: gotcha. ad- okay.
1: deliberately in a very specific location. So, yes, yeah, so th- I've given you two examples there of areas that are very similar in-, in terms of having vampiric overlords. But then you have areas that are kind of unique. You have the Silver Pinnacle, which is a, a dwarf hold that was taken over in a single night by a vampire queen. And all her minions. Effectively, Neferata, uh, yeah, just Ooh. rushed in, took over the upper layers, and then a wave of undead just slowly moving down, killing everything that wasn't fleeing
2: uh, in a single night
1: in a single night, and then shored up all of the tunnels beneath, so there's no access from beneath. But again, these were the known tunnels. There are still uh, There's still mm. combat going on underneath, usually between the dead and the Skaven, or the dead and the night goblins. So that's really the kind of common knowledge of vampires. There are these areas where there are dead. You don't go there. It's poisonous. If you go there, you're being sent there to do something. So, like, the witch hunters will go to try and obviously destroy necromancers and vampires. There are quests sent by the King of Bretonnia to reconquer Muslan. The dwarves are trying to reconquer Silver Peak continuously. But there are other hidden towers and castles and layers and, indeed, former kingdoms dotted around the Warhammer world, usually dotted around what we would consider to be the old world, where a number of different types of vampire, I was going to say eke out an existence. Some of them eke out. Some of them have an incredibly prosperous existence where you find, like, even in Altdorf in the capital, there are some vampires. In in Nome, there's some vampires. And, you know, anywhere you find humans, you find vampires.
2: Are they there, like on a professional level, as like ambassadors on behalf of the vampires, or are they there, like preying on the living, uh, like like vampires? <laughs>
1: Like vampires, <laughs> like vampires, as as vamps do, like those bats. I, the name eludes me. Um, uh, the, <laughs> no, they're, they're very much, very much the latter case. They're they're preying on humanity in terms of their own sustenance, but also gaining information. And this leads really quite nicely. So, congratulations, Carl. You've really helped me out here. To the Zing. different types of vampire. There are five kind of recognized types of vampire. Uh, we've already mentioned happy, the Von Karsteins. Grumpy. Happy.
0: Fighty. <laughs> drainy. Yeah. Bloody. <laughs> sucky, sucky.
1: <laughs> and slippery. Yeah. And, oh, uh, slippery. <laughs> so we've already mentioned the Von Karsteins, and, and we'll cover them in a future episode in uh, more detail because they're arguably one of the most important families in Warhammer. We've mentioned the blood dragons as well. If you recall, this is the one that uh, drained a dragon. That's not a euphemism. He drank a dragon dry. Uh, in like and
0: Dyer's drinking dragon dry.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: he shotgunned a dragon. Yeah, that was it. Story. I was at that.
2: it, as I remember. Yeah,
1: he
0: stuck a straw yeah. in his ass. And just <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whoop. Whoop. <laughs> But as opposed to kind of the um, view a person would have of the von Kahr signs is a very kind of stereotypical Hollywood-style vampire, like classic Dracula-style landed gentry from the East vampire. The blood knights then are, if one can imagine, like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, if they were all really thirsty. That's... Effectively, what these guys are, and really, yeah. they they operate like a religious order, a religious militant order, like in our own history, the Knights Templar, the Hospitaller, the Teutonic Knights, that kind of idea, where they all literally drink
2: the blood of Christ. Yeah, yeah,
1: yes, literally, and they all try to emulate not only the kind of martial prowess of the heroic ideal, but also really want to also drain a dragon dry on uh, with guy fieri uh, and um, <laughs> uh, and rid themselves of their vampiric curse that this, this famously was the result well, of, stop
2: drinking uh, dragon idiots!
1: yeah like no that's what that's what cured them that's what cured the the guy it was the power in the dragon's blood transformed his uh, vampiric curse into something else where he doesn't need did to he just? blood anymore. Did
2: he just come across that by accident? What was he actually doing when he found out that he He's could making cocktails. curse? By, by
0: <laughs> he was making dragon. cocktails.
2: <laughs> he was just trying to make a mojito and he just ended
0: up with his fucking triple D. <laughs> dragons <laughs> dry. Triple D! <laughs>
1: Are you looking for a fun expression of admiration or hatred? Have you ever thought about becoming a lord or lady of another realm? Well, now you can combine both with pyramid plans. We are a small cabal of estate managers who belong to, I mean work for, the greatest and most open of towering manifestations of death in existence. Our immortal partners in the forbidden yet enticing land of Nehekara stand ready to build you a two-foot-high pyramid in the sands around the scenic Black Pyramid of Nagash situated just outside the ancient city of Khemri bestowing upon you the royal title of Chosen of Nagash Ordering couldn't be easier Simply place a copper vial of blood together with a small bag of nail clippings, a tooth wrapped in hair, and nine gold crowns on top of a local barrel, igniting them and screaming the name of the desired or cursed one you have purchased this gift for. Our shadowy messengers will arrive within moments and whisk you away to oversee the construction of your own Pygmy Pyramid. Pyramid Plans You're one one of the chosen. chosen. Then get into the Lamians, uh, which is the Queen Neferata, uh, she of the Silver Pinnacle, the one that took over that dwarf hold in a single night. Her bloodline, they're all referred to as bloodlines, is very focused on nobility and influence. Rather than death and destruction, although her and her bloodline are well able to do that uh, as they uh, go about their business. But the Lamians are the ones mostly found in cities because Isn't of the. Is that the same name as
2: bull? No, no. That no, was, it was um, a Lamassu.
1: Lamassu. A Lamassu. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, La- yeah Lamassu. Lamassu correct
2: ourselves. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: Second
0: correction. Okay, Lamian. Right.
1: Right. Lamian. And uh, yes, so they're very much dealing with influence over humanity and exertion of power and political power and manipulation. Interestingly, 98% of all vampires from the Lamian bloodline are female. There are very, very few male Lamians. Um,
2: and I bet the male ones are really mincy as well. Yeah. Which is fine. Absolutely fine. <laughs> campness
0: is a choice. Camp is a row tense. <laughs> That's a very specific percentage. 98. Is that actually said in the in the law?
1: No, it's not it's not actually that that's me just kind of drama for emphasis that there are so oh, few male lamians uh, made, but there is a specific reason for that, which we'll cover soon. Um
0: Whew, this is just a lineup of teasers.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like a, a donkey being led by a carrot on a stick.
2: <laughs> you look like one too, buddy. Thanks, buddy. <laughs>
0: Thanks, I
1: believe it's not a donkey, it's an ass.
2: <laughs> hey!
1: hey oh. The uh, We then get into the kind of more bestial nature of vampirism as we would understand it from our own mythological sources. The Necrarch. How would you describe him? A cross between a, a zombie and evil Gandalf. That's really what necrarchs are. <laughs> uh, they're evil wizards. They manifest or process so much dark wind, the dar, that it effectively rots their body. You'll recall wow. we discussed previously when talking about the winds of magic that dar is chaos and disorder and entropy. It eventually corrupts and destroys everything it touches or everything that you You really
2: them. do, Darren, yeah.
1: <laughs> Let me just say, 100%. <laughs> so they they really do look like this idea of the liches from wider fantasy settings, where it's, a, oh, yeah. it's an undead zombie wizard, but in this wow. case also a vampire. Very, very, very big business card that the networks have. All those <laughs> kind of uh,
2: titles and um, They love it. They love those, like MSCs, B- BSCH, yeah. phD. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> I went through a period when I was younger of having bring your own bottle barbecues for my birthday. And then, so it became known as BCB's B Day, BYOB, BBQ. <laughs> I want to get that on a business card.
1: Um,. So uh, in terms of their location, the necrarchs almost always are solitary in terms of a single tower or building or even cave, like, where they like practice their yeah, like they, where they practice their dark arts. I say solitary, they're more isolationist really than solitary because they will have one or more apprentice studying with them. And ultimately, much like the Sith of Star Wars fame, the apprentice can really only become a master if it kills its master and we will right. we'll cover the story of Melchior and Zacharias a very famous example of this later on the final kind of recognized bloodline is the that of the strigoi and these really, this stereotype is really kind of xenophobic and bigoted towards what used to be called gypsies, but are like travellers or Romani. It's that kind of idea where there there's an other culture that wanders through and they're very tricksy, not at all trustworthy, but every now and then they reveal this best old ferocity and they transform into this horrific amalgamation of a... Really, I'm stuck now on Man-Bear-Pig, but it's a... (laughs) a, a Roll with it. Man-Bat-Wolf. It's it's that kind of huge, hulking beast. Abomination, yeah. Abomination. These are the Strigoi. Now, it should be said that where vampires originated from, there was technically 10 bloodlines, or 10 bloodlines were possible These are the surviving five, and not really anything is known about the other five, but in the kind of game setting, it gives players an option to kind of mix and match abilities and come up with their own bloodlines, which is always good. Make your own stamp on
2: things. So there are an additional five bloodlines, but they're just not known? Or Uh, it's kind of been faded into myth.
1: I think it's a mixture. Of them, I, I think maybe one or two of these kind of great vampire lords who started these bloodlines died at the collapse of the original vampire society. And others then have just an extreme dislike for each other. So there was perhaps some inter vampire hostility. But I suspect one or more still exists outside of these five recognized uh, types or tropes. The
0: Strigoi, is that how you pronounce it? Strigoi? Yeah. So they're human, and then they can convert into, they transform into these kind of abominations. Is that right?
2: No. Human-like, not humans. but A humanoid form, sorry.
0: Yeah, they're
1: a humanoid, but they are the kind of man-bear-pig style human. They are always monstrous. Once they're turned, once they become a vampire... They're always monstrous, but they travel with or are protected by the kind of Eastern Romany stereotype oh. that we have in our own world. This kind of, you know, the, the kind of gypsies as uh, protecting something mystical, supernatural, that kind of idea.
2: Ah, mm. mm. uh, interesting. So they, they aren't vampires themselves. They are guarding L- Living
1: servants. Yeah.
2: Living servants of them. Yeah. I and care. does the Strigoi feed on them?
1: Uh, Will feed on them in hard times, but prefers to feed on, you know, not their own people. Uh, Ultimately, there is a very fine line between faithful and valued servant and lunchtime snack
0: with uh, (laughs) vampires
1: and and humans, yes. (laughs) My lord, why is my job title BLT?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Quiet and just get in between these two loaves of bread. Yeah, shut up, <laughs> Elevenses. Stand over there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> shut up, Elevenses.
1: Come here
2: and dunk yourself in my tea. <laughs> uh,
0: so are they? Are the Strigoi kind of like, I was going to say sentient, but are they kind of animalistic in their nature? Are they kind of feral? That's the word I'm looking
1: for. Yes, feral is the, probably the best word to describe them. They do have higher function. They do understand. In fact, they used to have a kingdom called uh, Morkane. Um, Strigoi land. but The fun never ends. (laughs) Why is the water on the flume red? Shut up, Timmy. Um...
2: I feel like Timmy's going to get it this series. (laughs) It's going to be this faction. Timmy's the guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the one who's always thrown to the vampires.
1: And no one's ever surprised to discover that Timmy is, in fact, Jeff's nephew,
0: (laughs) (laughs) who Jeff never really liked.
1: But before we talk about the origins of vampires, uh, we should maybe have a brief word on how other races feel about vampires. Um, (laughs) Is it
0: not great?
1: It's almost universally not great. In fact, you've just summed up that section, and we can move on now. Um, Fantastic! All of the elves, regardless of their own flavor, view vampires with the disdain that one would a shambling dead body. They're not particularly afraid of them, although there are squads that go out and destroy the fuck out of them. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And even the dark elves themselves dislike them, principally because. Necromancy was tortured out of a small group of dark elves. That's the uh, source of the necromantic arts. It was a capture, torture, information extraction, and corruption that led to necromancy being created. Um, wow. Dwarves then. Uh, love them.
2: They love a vampire, don't they? They, they can't re- get enough.
1: Well, of them. They, again, they have the same disdain that the elves have, but somewhat ironically, The vampires don't really like dwarves either
0: because they have no necks. Because they,
1: (laughs) (laughs) because they find them incredibly unpalatable.
2: They're bitter with all the grudges.
1: A dwarf's blood is more alcohol than not, and so they just find them really strong. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) It's like going from you know a few glasses of margarita to suddenly a pint of sambuca. It's that kind of idea where it's I just, just like, imagine oh, like pro- a pro-
0: vampire bar just serves dwarves over the over yeah. the bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll have uh, two shots of dwarf, please.
1: <laughs> Obviously there's a, a huge amount of grudges for the, you know, for the Silver Pinnacle massacre. Mm. But to some extent, the Battle of Hellfen, again, it'll be quite a few episodes before we cover that, is where the dwarves scratched out a lot of the grudges that they have. Skaven then, obviously, we've discussed ad scaven Skaven and the undead and vampires in regards to Cripple Peak and the continued mulching battle that happened there. One should perhaps point out that the dark winds of magic settle where there is a lot of warpstone. There's strong evidence that Sylvania has the second largest deposits of warpstone kind of per square, whatever measurement, compared to Cripple Peak, which is the largest single deposit of warpstone. So when the chaos gates collapsed where Sylvania is it's kind of nestled between the the corner of the world's edge mountains and the black mountains and a lot of warpstone powder and warpstone chunks fell in that area. Um,
0: the skaven have burrowed under Sylvania as well though have they not?
1: Yes, but there's very few passages up. Because every time they emerge above ground, they're almost instantly set upon by hordes of zombies or skeletons or direwolves or the various other beasts and forces of Sylvania.
2: Mr. Chris? Quick question. uh, Just rewinding a bit, you were saying that the vampires aren't too fond of dwarves because they taste mostly of alcohol. Were you being serious?
1: It's actually a, a quote from a dwarven warrior who said that he's never afraid of vampires because his blood is half the strong determined traditional blood of all right thinking dwarves and bugman's 6x which even right. you know when when alive that concentration that 50% proof would kill a normal human uh, <laughs> so he says he's not afraid so yeah, d- Ish, ish. There's a kernel of truth. There's oh, a kernel okay. of truth.
2: It's probably, I imagine it'll be like chewing down. What's that? Is it? Is it tequila where you get the worm in the bottle of the. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Of the, yeah, uh, yeah. Of the yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yuck!
0: Dad, do you remember like mum and dad's parties when we were younger and they would they would when they had big groups of people over they would in the weeks leading up to it they would get a big vat and they would fill it with like a bottle of you know a bottle of whiskey a bottle of vodka a bottle of gin there's like every type of spirit in there and then they would dump just pounds and pounds of strawberries in it and they yeah. would leave it to yeah, yeah. soak for like a week. And then when everybody arrived, they would give them a glass of champagne and they would drop one of these strawberries in it. And essentially it was like a turbocharged glass of champagne. And by the end of the night, you could always tell the fucking idiots that had eaten the strawberries because they were like upside down in a bin round the side of the house. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Whoa, whoa, lethal.
2: whoa. How can you call your family's guests idiots for eating a strawberry and a glass of champagne and expect them not to eat it?
0: No, but
1: like it sounds he, like it he,
2: sounds like you set them up good and proper. I mean, they were literally bastards.
0: given the instruction where they were given the glass. They were told, "Do not eat the strawberry."
2: I would have written one back saying, "Why the fuck have you put the strawberry in my glass of champagne?" Then you idiots. <laughs> yeah.
1: How far away do you think that they were giving people drinks <laughs> that they had to write a letter? <laughs> it
0: was a mail order glass of champagne, yeah. right? smoke signals. No, I g-
1: I can nice keenly re- I can keenly remember a couple of people saying, "Oh, I'm not going to drink. I'll just have some of the strawberries." <laughs> okay. <I'm laughs> okay,
0: So, Skaven, Sylvania, no bueno.
2: No bueno. No ablo el Scavano.
1: One will also recall from the Skaven episodes that the Great Plague. Remember the one of their great, it was the first one in 1111 was spoiled, not just by the aptly named Mandred Skaven Slayer, but also an enormous horde of dead that rose up because, you know, nine tenths of the empire was effectively just corpses lying around. And Mm -hmm. that attracted so much dar and so much kind of vampiric activity that the Skaven were repulsed by not only the good guys, but the bad guys. Or objectionable bad guys. The kind of final one we should point out is because they are powered by dar, which makes me feel really kind of important, there is some link (laughs) to the forces of chaos because chaotic magic is powered by dar as well. There is no formal alliance, there is no preferential alliance, and they're not even really allies of opportunity between the vampire counts and the forces of chaos, because Korn views their consumption of blood as a waste of a sacrifice, you know, blood for the blood god. Uh, Nurgle, believe it or not, as we've said before, is obsessed with life and generating new life, and the vampires are dead, so there's no natural connection there. Zinch views them as a static being yes uh, unable to change so there's no there's no connection there they're not really able to change there's some evidence that that is a little untrue and then slanesh really kind of values their luxuriant lordly lifestyles but it's always at a distance if you know what i mean they don't dissolve into excess there's no heightened uh, requirement like they don't get their senses aren't dulled ah, at a certain yeah. level. They're not right, constantly right, right. required to up the hit of something. So they don't really need to live in continuing excess. Or um, So um,
0: so vampires don't engage in excess that would eventually bring them to their knees?
1: Effectively, yes. Yeah. right. That's a really good way of putting it. That's
0: really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it really is all human traits that the chaos gods are interested in. And vampires Absolutely. don't really have any of
1: those. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Cool. That's really cool. cool.
1: Or the corruption of human traits.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that they're corruption. interested in. Yeah. What about, like, the lizard men? What's their take on vampires? Would a vampire ever, you know, drink the blood of a, a
2: lizard? Would he swing that way? Uh,
1: no. Oh, well, maybe the, uh, the vampires of the pirate coast would go for it, but there are actually <laughs> very few vampires within. The Vampire Coast. It's mostly zombies, which is why I think it's called the Zombie Coast. I can't recall exactly. (laughs) Um,
2: Why it's not called the Vampire Coast at all? Sorry,
1: I'm just, I'm too excited about this (laughs) faction slash race. So uh, they've probably given it a go. I would suspect you'd need to file your fangs down to get through the toughened hide, but I don't. And they're cold blooded
0: as well, aren't they? Yeah,
1: I don't recall any kind of idea, any piece of text where they were. Sucking off a lizard. Well, you try not to, but you know, you're only flesh and blood. (laughs) Mr. Chris.
2: Anyone who, or anything that's bitten by a vampire in Warhammer, would they become a vampire themselves?
1: Uh, There's only one example, and I think we've covered it in a Chunks of Dar episode, uh, of something becoming kind of sustainable undead after being bitten by a vampire that wasn't human, and that was a Skaven captain. The Skaven captain of a ship. Uh, mm. Scabrous, I think his name was
2: So the vampires can't bolster their numbers by just chomping down on a bunch of enemies and they become vampires Is there a ritual or even you have to be born a vampire or something else
1: you're, you, I mean, you're the king of perfect segues for this episode because <laughs> I can answer that question with a little story about the creation of vampires
0: You are Yay! so, so welcome Yay. <laughs> that is a strong alley-oop, lads, well done
1: so if we'll recall, the kingdom of Nehekhara, the the oh, yeah. Egyptian analogue of the Warhammer world, which is way down south. So we go from the Empire over the Black Mountains to the Border Princes, we continue through the Badlands. Beyond the markers that were put up by the, the nobility of Nehekara lies the desert kingdom of the great realm and the great river of life, which was the analogous to the Nile. So in there, there are cities dotted around. Obviously, one of the biggest ones being Khemri, which was the capital city, their Cairo or equivalent. And in that city 2,000 years before the birth of Sigmar, a first son is born to the king of Kemri, the kind of pharaonic ideal of Kemri. and his name is Nagash. Uh, Nagash <gasps> is the... you right, Chris. <laughs> the gasp n- none of the dead can do, but the
0: wibble they absolutely can do. Um, (laughs) did he not think when he was did he not think see do you know what this Nagash name sounds a little bit undead maybe I should name him John it does sound like
1: a rather silly name for the kind of Sauron of Warhammer but you have to factor in that his younger brother's name was
0: Thutip it was what sorry with a lisp Thutip T-H-U-T-E-P Thutip Thutip. Thu-tip. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah, I'll take the really as The Lord of the Undead, <laughs> <laughs> does it? Yeah,
1: I am King
0: uh, Thutip. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But you may call me Tim. <laughs> <laughs> it's Timmy. That's who it was. Timmy. Timmy. That's it. Yep. <laughs> Poor Timmy. No, Timmy's like Timmy from um, Timmy. Uh, no, no, from Christmas Carol. Just, just a lame little boy. And they just throw him to the vampire's slap. <laughs> he is known as Tim
1: or Blood Grenade. <laughs> <laughs> so, as was tradition in Kemri, the firstborn of any king is given to a life of priesthood. They are not next in line to be king. It's the second born that becomes the king or queen of a a given city. But Nagash, being a man of confidence and ambition, was like, fuck that for a game of soldiers. And really began to resent his kind of secondary role in the rulership of the kingdom. After the charmingly named Thutip. Thutip. Um, And he was kind of, as I said, resentful and just kind of Looking for any way to increase his power, and an opportunity presented itself when he had just turned thirty-two, and a council of kings was held in Camry with the usual gift giving, and one of the kings gave Nagasha's father, and I'm not joking, Q-tip. Sorry, what now? Nagasha's dad's name is Q-tip. Wow, Q-tip and th-tip. yeah, not with the Qs, K H.
0: Q-tip. Q-tip. Mm.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. The more I the more I read about this <laughs> stuff, I think it's just horseshit. I think we should just jack it. <laughs> in and maybe should we do a podcast about <laughs> serial killers or something? These are <laughs> these are just made up names.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Stragoyland has come to Britannia. Join us and discover the magic where a carnival of color and music come to life every day of the year. And incredible attractions to take your breath. Away! Have ride on the fabulous flaming flume. Take plunge in the screaming well funtime wet and wild water park. Yes, water is meant to be red. All insurance is void on the old world's tallest roller coaster. The Rib Smasher! Kids go crazy in our petting zoo when they get face to face with adorable dire wolf pups. Please avoid putting your face to their face. Swarmings of rabid battlings and other delightful creatures. And, of course, you cannot leave, literally, before having fortune told by genuine Sragani fortune teller. Was that? You swear you had bag of coin before you went in? Well, oh, sorry, my comma not so good. Cannot help. And right now, a special discount for anyone with blood type or negative. So come down now to Strigoi It's all right.
1: So at this Council of Q-tip, that's what I'm actually going to refer to. Uh, one of the king's gifted Nagash's father. A group of prisoners. Now, these were, I say group, it was three. It was three dark elves that had been captured on a coastal raid, or they were raiding the coast of what became Araby and were captured and brought as kind of oddities of gifts to Nagash's wow. dad. I um, don't know
2: what to do with these. A pair of slippers would have been absolutely fine. At least I can wear those, you know? Like,
1: <laughs> I mean, everyone else brought vouchers. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, specific, we specifically asked for vouchers.
2: We agreed no slaves, right? Yeah. About yeah, I no or we agreed no yeah. slaves? We agreed yeah. no slaves. What are these?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the way society is going. Slaves is a bad thing. So let's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nagash became absolutely intrigued by these odd beings. These prisoners, these slaves were kept by Q-tip until his ailing health Meant that he had to, you know, his. Give them spirit. Fife
0: Dog and the rest of the tribe called Quest.
1: <laughs> <The> tri- <laughs> <laughs> so, with his father's health failing, as the mortuary priest, as the priest in charge of all of the funerary rites in um, Nehekara, Nagash manipulated the inclusion of these three dark elves as the kind of sacrificial. Offering as you know, uh, one of these settings where, when a master is interred when they die, their servants go with them through into the afterlife. So he wanted these dark elves to go with his father into the afterlife. All the while, you know, in a very calculated way, working out a plan as to how to get the best of this situation. And when his father eventually passed, he managed to do a kind of switcheroo where the dark elves were taken out by Nagash and put in a different part of the city and the father then passed on into the afterlife free of all mortal concerns. This led to his brother taking up the throne which Nagash then further resented and hatched a plan not only to try and seize the throne but to get as much information out of these dark elves as he could. So, in a kind of a pyramid, an empty pyramid, if you can imagine such a thing, just lying around, he the spare pyramid. (laughs) He began to question the dark elves on the nature of magic because he himself was a magic user because that was required as part of the funerary rites. And in his discussions, and torturing, and questionings, and tea parties, he managed to (laughs) get information out. Trombonings. He managed to get information out of them on the winds of Dar, and how they can be manipulated by Dark Elves. And because Kemri really was surrounded by what's called an Acropolis, which is the city of the dead, it's where a culture buries its dead, if it buries them all in one place, as it's referred to as an Acropolis, it was strong with the winds of Dar. So he began experimentation, not only by himself, but he'd have his assistants kidnap citizens of Kemry. He would try out various different types of transmutative magic to try and get to... He was of that
2: curious age, wasn't he, where he was just experimenting, finding his feet in the world, you know? Is he is he going this way? Is he going that way? You know, yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's okay. I, we, we, we all go through it as young lads, don't we? You
1: know? I, I absolutely <laughs> agree, Chris. He's very, very misunderstood.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> this eventually leads to the creation of the elixir of life a an an elixir obviously a juice a cordial uh, rendered from (laughs) multiple sources but the main one being blood and through his magic that he learned from the dark elves he was able to prolong his life not just by decades but by centuries he ultimately outlived most of his enemies um as he's doing this, he's constantly recruiting new assistants and helpers and allies from the kind of dispossessed nobility of Kemri and of the kind of wider Nehekara, people with gambling debts, people with kind of odd vices, people with depraved needs, or depraved needs, it may be called, <laughs> that they are uh, depraved. kind of depraved um, scavan He is able to kind of lure them in with... Uh, the solutions to their immediate needs, but then corrupts them and gets them into positions of power and influence so that he himself then can extend his influence through them. Um,
2: It's quite Skaven-like, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is a bit. That tactic. Yeah, yeah. 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 Ultimately, this leads to a coup where he slays the priest-king of Khemri, the current priest-king of Khemri, this is uh, centuries later, and seizes power. And one of the very first things he does is he orders the construction of the Black Pyramid of Nagash.
0: So by this point, I'm assuming his brother, who was the king, has now died. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And did did he have uh, successors? Did he have an heir to his throne? I don't believe
1: so. I think that it is possible to have an elected king from about, you know, much like the elector counts, yeah. a wise leader is chosen.
0: And so this priest, dude, was he the ruler of the country by that
1: point then? No, Killed he was the ruler of that city. He's the the king ah. of Camry. Yeah, right. it's something that perhaps should be pointed out that Nehakara was really a realm of city-states. That had an agreed border. It wasn't a cohesive country as such. Um, gotcha. As this corruptive influence and the, the winds of Dar begins blowing stronger around Nehekara, the Black Pyramid really serves as a focus. And as it's completed in one of these great kind of sacrificial rites, he buries alive the three dark elf prisoners because, of course, elves are quite long lived. They don't need any kind of magical potion or elixir to keep them going.
2: any life juice.
1: <laughs> so really at this stage, Nagash is 250-ish years old and is surrounded by a group of men and women who are almost fanatically loyal because he can give them effective immortality. That's what this potion gives. If you drink enough of it, it effectively makes him functionally immortal, which is why he kind of doles it out in bits, in much kind of reduced uh, portions. His rule as king of Camry is incredibly cruel, vindictive. He's really is a tyrant. And as his life extends, he becomes effectively fearful of death. So he is continuing to imbibe elixir, which now needs a significant amount of blood from multiple sources and not just anyone just off the street. It, you know, you require the third son of a priest of something or the, the firstborn of a carpenter. It's all this kind of idea, much like rune magic. You have to have things in a certain order and a, and from certain sources to make this powerful, powerful elixir. Um. All the while, of course, his followers are trying to get a hold of his books. He's created these nine books, these nine notebooks, which infamously cause problems throughout the rest of history. The nine books of Nagash. Um,
2: Just like the longest autobiography. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nine <laughs> volumes. Just like <laughs> Nagash, the early years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But the number nine features a lot. You have the nine books of Nagash, the nine dark lords of Nagash, and he himself is effectively nine years old. No, I've made that up.
0: (laughs) The nine toes of Nagash.
1: The the nine toes of Nagash. There was a horrific, horrific knife accident. (laughs) No, but all of this kind of points back to his original source in terms of creative writing, which is Sauron. The nine Mm -hmm. books allude to the nine Nazgul and and so forth. Um, Ultimately, the priest kings of the other cities say, fuck this for a game of soldiers. We don't want this influence because not only is he tyrannical in his rule of his own kingdom, he's tyrannical in his dealings with other kingdoms, other city states, and has prohibited the worship of the traditional Nehekaran gods, uh, as we would assume the Egyptian gods have passed. So very much he takes up the role of another historical favourite of mine, which is uh, the pharaoh Akhenaten, who was Tutankhamun's dad. And he abandoned or forced, his, forced Egypt to abandon multiple gods and brought in really what's thought to be the first kind of monotheistic religion in the world, which was worship of the Aten, the sun god. But that had huge cultural impacts. So you can imagine in Warhammer, everything's drama for excess, that the, the other priest kings of the various cities, all of whom are like the head priest of a given god, have taken this not well, I suspect is probably the, <laughs> the politest way to put it. So they form a, con- a great confederation under one of the kings, a name you may be familiar with. It's King Alcaselser. Uh, oh, yeah. Him of the face down, ass up in a bog fame. Incredibly settled
0: stomachs. Uh,
1: yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> King Alcadazar. Um, He comes to the fore later on because the war then between the Confederation and Kemri lasts effectively for a century. And they, at every turn, beat back uh, Nagash's force at great cost because he employs not only the dark magic of the Dark Elves that he captured, but his ability and knowledge has surpassed. That of really any other sorcerer on the planet at that time, with the exceptions of the great sorcerers of the elves and and perhaps the Slan as well. But his mastery of the dark winds of magic is above everyone else. And so he's able to kind of summon great monstrous beasts, uh, swarms of these flesh-eaten scarabs, you know, raise the dead, make them fight. And of course, as the living die, they pick up their weapons then and fight at his command. But over the course of a century, they beat back his forces to Khemri, and then they breach the walls very successfully. And they go from house to house, slaughtering anything that lives and burning it. Because obviously, if you leave uh, bodies around, they'll just get back up and start kind of shanking you. I believe that's a, a technical term. Um <laughs> So Nagash then himself is believed to have been killed in front of the Great Black Pyramid. This is, unfortunately for everyone else, hearsay. He isn't killed, he just sees that he's now totally failed and disappears into the Great Black Pyramid with his most kind of privy council, his, his most trusted advisors, with one exception. He leaves behind Arkan, who was his kind of chief vizier, his chief advisor, and he, Arkan is killed by just a, a spear from a nameless soldier, pierces him, and he dies within sight of the Great Black Pyramid, trying to draw away the forces from his master. Ultimately, they are completely successful. The forces under Al Qadazar not only cleanse the city of the taint of evil of Nagash, but they go into the Black Pyramid itself, which is obviously booby trapped, and they drag out all of his advisors and kind of kill them under the judgmental rays of the sun. But of Nagash, they can find no trace. No trace whatsoever. He's simply Mm -hmm. disappeared. Uh, And we won't maybe talk about that too much at this point because we've really already covered it when we were talking about the Skaven and Cripple Peak because Mm. Nagash wanders through the desert and he himself claims that that is when he leaves the mortal plane and his spirit then travels the underworld and comes back, repossesses his body, and then is attracted off into the area of Cripple Peak where he creates Nagash's R. So he goes off. He's the, you know, the great evil has been killed. Now, the priest kings operate like vultures and strip out everything of value from Kemri. They put in a kind of piecemeal provisional government which takes over. uh, uh, But eventually, Kemri returns to full glory over the space of a few centuries. But an important event happens. They didn't kill all of the advisors. Uh, one managed to kind of beg for his life, and that was an advisor called Warson. Warson? Warson. That's me now. Warson times,
0: And he's just appeared behind you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he just whispers in your ears, Noblar! Um,
0: <laughs>
1: but he manages to influence the great queen of Lamia, which is another city in Nehekara. Uh, it's on the, what we would consider the Red Sea. It's on that side, on that coastal mm. plain. And she's called Neferatum. Uh, and we'll, we'll let you draw your own conclusions. But she, um, she n- manages to capture a large amount of books and scrolls from the Black Pyramid, including some copies of the books of Nagash. Now, Warson is the primogenitor figure, he's really, how would you describe him? He is the manipulative vizier, the kind of Jafar ideal yeah. from Aladdin. Is that a real Amazing. kind of power-hungry, manipulative, knows his own limits. He knows he's not a warrior, so he's forced to beg for his life and can give advice and can help hunt down other allies of Nagash over the next few years. But he's given sanctuary in Lamia and teaches... Neferatim about the various magics that Nagash used, because she is the kind of classic feminist trope. She's a female leader in a land traditionally ruled by men. So she's told you can't more often than not. And rightly so, that would piss anyone off. So she looks for ways to kind of gain influence and gain power and to be taken seriously. That's the kind of good intention at the start of her journey. But ultimately, It leads to the creation of a blood elixir, which is a bastardized, mistranslated version of the elixir of life. So it begins to prolong their life, but there are a few ingredients missing from the ritual to make the elixir. So it fundamentally revolves around blood. So she, again, much like Nagash, begins to draw around her a group of advisors and allies that begin to drink the blood elixir. And so very slowly, because it's this bastardized version, transforms them into vampires. Now, some of the ones that she offers this to take it willingly, others reject it and have to be taken by force. I'm thinking mostly of her husband, who is a chap called Vashanesh. And he's this great warrior, this great kind of you know pharaonic ideal of nobility and justice, who she absolutely adores and who adores her, but is repulsed and horrified by what she's becoming. Ultimately, we see a recurrence of this cleansing battle from the other priest kings, the other cities, where it becomes so apparent that something has gone hideously wrong in Lamia that they send out armies to just take the city and ultimately forces Neferatom and her followers, which again, number nine, there are nine principal followers of Neferatum, uh, mm-hmm. each one of whom will eventually either die or start a bloodline of vampires. Ah, So that really, that little kind of council in Lamia is where the seed of vampirism is created. Um, So they, they become aware that there is this malevolent presence to the north, and they divine quite accurately that Nagash is actually still alive, he still exists. And so they begin to kind of send emissaries up to him to, to get his advice and patronage about how you know how to proceed and how to refine this elixir, and he's kind of relatively open to this. He's pleased to see that his his follower Warcryn is still alive and that the the work has continued in terms of influence because through the magic through the ritual to create the blood elixir. He is able to exert a level of control over the vampires. He's able to guide their actions, you know, to his will oh, as if they cool. thought it was their own action. So he's that's acting really through cool. them. But ultimately, the rumors of this cult, this horrific blood rites, the constant draining of anything that comes within 10 feet of the palace gets out to other kings of Nehekara, other priest kings. And so we get a repetition of this great battle, this great siege of Khemri centered on Lamia. This is led by the great warrior alka who purges through Lamia, wiping out every trace that he can find leading the armies of this various priest-kings. And ultimately... The vampires, leading their own kind of necromantic forces, are forced to flee. They have to, to be able to survive. And so Neferatum and her nine followers, again we see the number nine there, uh, head straight to Nagash's where you'll recall that Nagash has set up shop in the undead Baradur of Warhammer world. Upon arrival, Nagash is incensed and he declares war on these great priest kings and is deeply focused on not only taking back control of Nehekara, but defeating and humiliating King Alcadazar. Uh, Mr. Chris.
2: Question about this current event. So, uh, Neferatum and her nine followers skedaddle after being defeated, they skedaddle up to Nagash's So So, yeah. uh, is Nagash and Neferatum in cahoots, are they allies at this point then?
1: Uh, well, at this stage, it's very much they're his servants because he okay. can control yeah. them through that magical link because of yes. uh, the yep. blood yep. of yep.
0: Yep. Are they aware that they're servants?
1: They become aware that they are forced right. into his uh, servitude. Um right. Nagash, then, it sends a vast force of undead uh, under his command, but led by the vampires. The vampires are the generals of this army. Um, at this stage, I'm using the word vampire. They have all the benefits of the vampires, but none of the restrictions. They're not susceptible to daylight or any of the traditional weaknesses that we assume. They can eat garlic. Yeah, they need to consume blood as part of the elixir, but they're not.
2: They're day walkers.
1: Yeah, they weren't. Blades. Yes, they are blades. Um uh-huh.
2: Wesley. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they suddenly
0: got real snipes. <laughs> real snipes.
1: <laughs> uh, in the first battle, the vampires and the undead suffer a cataclysmic failure. They're just defeated by the sheer brilliance of alka and his living troops. The wrath of Nagash is vast. He's so incensed that these chosen nobles have failed him in such a fashion that he pronounces this great curse on vampires and anyone who descends from that corrupted line. Uh, This is where the various different vampire bloodlines get their associated weaknesses, including the generic can't operate cool. in sunlight and that kind of stuff. That's mm. Nagash's wrath being put forward on the on the vampires. Wow. This causes most of the vampires to realize what has happened because they feel these curses come through and kind of look to each other and say, what the hell's going on? And they realize that they're under Nagash's influence and will remain so for the rest of their existence. So they flee. All but one of them flees the field of battle. And the one that remains is uh, Worsarin, who returns to Nagashazar to study at the feet of the great necromancer. And in fact, as we'll find out later on, Warsran is the very first necrarch, the
0: primogenitor of the necrarch bloodline. Um, so is his bloodline then the only one that wasn't cursed? Or was no, he no,
1: it's it's he, all of them were cursed. He pled for mercy at the feet of necromancer to be allowed to study and uh, gain more knowledge right, and okay. kind of, you know, sycophantic wheezling that kind of stuff. Every, all right. the other vampires just pissed off. Um, right. Okay. okay. Nagash then, at the second great defiance by the priest kings of Necara, unleashes a great plague where whole towns just drop dead and then rise up to fight against the remaining living priests. And you see this almost zombie, well it is zombies, it's a zombie-like tidal wave coming towards all the various cities and eventually all of the cities are taken by hordes of the undead. And it really is kind of a mindless battle because there's no guiding spirit other than Nagash pushing these undead hordes forward. And they eventually leads to the death of every living being, human or otherwise, in Nehekara, with the exception of one person, King Al who is brought back in chains to Nagashazar, uh, where he is going to be forced to watch as Nagash enacts a great ritual, turning the entire world, not just Nehekara, to a mausoleum, effectively where every living being will die and then will be under the control of Nagash, who is now functionally immortal. And as listeners will remember, that's when our good little ratty friends intervene. But that, I feel, is a good place to draw a veil on this introductory episode.
2: Woo, mama! I was uh, uncharacteristically quiet through that because I thought that was an amazing story. I don't know what it was about it, but I think I'm starting to see your obsession with the undead. I love a good tale and the undead yeah. have that in droves.
0: And it's a dark tale as well. It's not, yeah. it's not one. It's it's mm. not. It's not the, a great fall. It's not the hero myth, yeah. is it? There's no, there's no no happy ending in this one. Like it's just fucked. And then it gets a bit mm. more fucked. and And the less said about the end, the better.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, if you're going to have the audacity to call your son Nagash, he's only got one career path, really, hasn't he? And that yeah. to be Necromancy. the evil, un- yeah. undead overlord of the world. So, yeah, yeah you kind of asked yeah. for it. So, listeners,
0: if you are paying attention, do not call your children Nagash. That is the lesson. <laughs>
2: Because the last thing that the world needs right now, that would really cap it off, (laughs) wouldn't it? (laughs) And we've got a necromantic overlord. (laughs) Great. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Shall I wrap up? Yeah. All right. That's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes or on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Big thank you to all our Patreon supporters, we couldn't do this without you guys, you cover our costs and allow us more time planning content and scripting those ridiculous adverts, not to mention the moral support we so desperately need. If you're not part of this merry band, you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash lane down the lore and sign up today. This will give you access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus series, Chunks of Dar, a bi-monthly informal deep dive into the topics discussed in the main podcast, in which Kral and I essentially interrogate Dar. You'll also gain access to our Discord server, which is pretty much Warhammer banter 24-7 with the three of us and our growing posse of lovely time wasters. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, bye!
2: I've had to suck your blood, I think.
0: Not sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's one. (laughs) Keep it undead, my friends.
1: Lane Dandelore.